Jesus, thank you so much for the mercies you have shown us as individuals and us as a nation. Lord, we thank you for the men and women who have worn the uniform, who have defended our freedoms. And Lord, we pray now that you would help us learn from the pages of Scripture how to follow you and how to be a leader as they were. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would consider yourselves leaders? You don't have to raise your hand necessarily. We can do this Presbyterian style. You can just nod or raise an eyebrow. (laughs) How many of you are leaders? Some of you are kind of looking like yes. Some of you are kind of looking no. Others of you are still waking up. (laughs) We've been doing a sermon series on the life of Joseph as a way of asking the question, how can we be people who make a difference? in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our country, as the men and women in the service have done. How can we be difference makers? And so far we've seen that difference makers have a vision, they practice faithfulness, they serve, and today I want to talk about a fourth characteristic of a difference maker, and that is they are leaders. Nothing good happens without a leader. So if you want to be a difference maker, you're going to have to lead. Now, when I ask that question, are you a leader, some of you think you are, and others of you, you're not so sure. So let me reassure you, you are a leader. Everyone is a leader. All of us have some sphere of influence in which we are called to lead. I have a friend who's a pastor, and he had a toddler, and as you know, toddlers are very certain that they're leaders, and that the entire family, in fact, the entire universe should follow them. So my friend and his wife wanted to help their son understand authority better. So they said, you know, daddy's a pastor, so he's captain of a church. And daddy and mommy are captains of the house, and we're captains of you too. Well, the toddler didn't like that last one, so he pouted for a minute. But then he looked at his pacifier, which he calls his badu, and he said, well, then I'm the captain of the badu. (laughs) That's good theology. We all have our badu of which we are captain. So what's your badu? What is your sphere of influence? Leadership is simply just that. It's influence. Influencing others to go in a certain direction. And all of us have our sphere of influence. Maybe you're a teacher and your classroom is your sphere of influence. Or you're a manager or a neighbor or a friend. Maybe you're a parent and your children are your sphere of influence. I mean, I'm sure all of us parents ever had this moment where one of your kids says or does something exactly like you, and you realize that they're channeling you. It's kind of a horrifying moment, right? Our families, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, we are leading them by example, whether we know it or not. And the question is, are we leading them in the right direction? So how can we be godly difference-making leaders. Not just someone people follow because, you know, almost anyone can do that, but leaders that make a difference, who change lives, who make our offices, homes, and neighborhoods better places, who help people discover Jesus. How can we be difference-making leaders? Three things. First, godly, difference-making leaders are followers. A leader is someone who is following so hard after something that other people can't but help follow him or her. A leader is someone who is following so hard after something that other people just can't help but follow him or her. 
There's a movie called Breaking Away about bicycle racers. And there's a scene in it where one of the bicycle guys, he's riding on the highway and, and he gets behind a truck going down the highway and he starts going faster and faster up to 50 miles an hour. The reason he can go that fast is because he's being pulled along by the draft that the truck is making behind it. That's a good image of leadership. Leaders pursue something so hard they create a draft behind them and others get caught up in it. You see, godly leadership is simply figuring out where God is going and then going there with such passion that other people are just drawn along. And that's what's happening with Joseph in this story. If you remember, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Then he was thrown into prison for a crime that he didn't commit. And just before the part we read today, Joseph is let out of prison because the Pharaoh has had a dream and Joseph is going to interpret it. And Joseph tells Pharaoh that his dream means there's going to be seven years of bumper crops. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And that Pharaoh should store up food for the famine years. Well, Pharaoh was so impressed with that that he makes Joseph second in command in all of Egypt. Joseph, throughout his life, and he, in this story, he was able to he pursued God with passion and he was able to see what God was up to, what God was doing. In that dream he gave Pharaoh, God was warning the Egyptians of what was to come. Joseph could see what God was doing and he moved toward it with such intensity that other people, including the Pharaoh himself, were drawn up in it. I mean, Pharaoh even says, this man has God's spirit in him. And they're just being pulled along. I had an office job when I was in college and one of the administrative assistants there was a Christian. And whenever gossip or kind of complaining started up in the office, she, she wouldn't join in. But she also didn't kind of be judgmental about it either. And you could just sort of, she, what she would do is she, she'd sort of change the subject just kind of quietly or gently. Change the subject from the negative stuff to, to talk about something positive she'd seen happen in the office or to tell a funny story that she heard or something like that. And when she did that, you could just sort of feel the atmosphere in the office go from complaining and negative to uplifting. And eventually there was less gossip and less complaining and more laughter and more fun. Now, she wasn't the manager of that office, but she was the leader. People followed her because she could see what God wanted to do in that office. Build people up, not tear them down. And she pursued that in a way that made us want to follow her in that. She was a leader. In your home, your office, your neighborhood, your family, what is God doing? Where is God going? And how can you follow so hard after that that others can't help but follow you as you do that? Second characteristic of a godly leader. Godly leaders are themselves, not somebody else. You know, I don't know about you, but I think when a lot of us hear the word leader, we have this image of what that looks like. Sort of someone powerful or charismatic or in charge of something big and important, that's a leader. But you know what? There are all kinds of different leaders. And godly leaders don't try to fit themselves into some preconceived idea of what they think they're supposed to be. They're just themselves. A few years ago, I took a management training seminar. And we took this test as part of the seminar that was, that was to determine our personality traits. And then they put the results up on the wall for everyone in the seminar to see. And then we had to pick which set of traits was us. And all of them, all of the little traits, all of them for different people, all of them said things like confident and self-assured and knows where they're going and all that kind of stuff. But there was this one that had words like quiet, conflict-averse. I said, that one's me. And after everyone had picked their 
set of traits, the teacher asked, based on these character traits, who in this room should not be a leader? And I don't know why, but they all looked at me. <laughs> so I said, well, I guess it's me, right? I guess I'm elected. He yelled at me. He yelled at me. It must be some kind of new teaching technique. I mean, he just yelled. He said, wrong. Everyone here is a leader. Just different types. That was eye-opening for me. You don't have to be Bill Gates. You don't have to be George Washington or something like that to be a leader. You just need to be you. When you die, God is not going to ask you, why weren't you like Moses? Or why weren't you like Abraham Lincoln? God's not going to ask you that. But he might ask you, why weren't you you? Why didn't you cooperate with my Holy Spirit to become the you I created you to be? Instead of wasting time trying to be like someone else. God made only one Moses. God made only one Abraham Lincoln for a reason. And he made only one you. And that's because he has a plan. And unless you become the you he created you to be, that plan won't be fulfilled. You know, in this story, Joseph does not look much like a leader. He's been in prison for 13 years. He's been a slave. Not very leaderly. But God uses him as a leader anyway. You feel like you're not a leader because you're not like someone else? Or you don't have such and such title, degree, or character traits? In those times, ask the Holy Spirit to help you become the you God created you to be. Godly difference-making leaders follow so hard after Jesus and what he's doing that others can't help but follow them. They're themselves and not somebody else. And finally, godly leaders serve. It's interesting to me that in this story, Joseph doesn't use his authority to enrich himself or get revenge on other people, and, and he doesn't let the trappings of leadership go to his head. You know, I mean, Pharaoh gives him a whole lot of stuff here, right? He gives him cool clothes. He gives him a chariot and a driver, which is the equivalent of a chauffeured limousine. Right? And whenever, wherever Joseph goes, people have to bow down and basically say, Joseph, you're the man. But it does not go to his head. Instead, Joseph goes straight to work storing up food so that the Egyptians don't starve when the famine hits. In other words, he uses his leadership to serve those who he is leading. Just like Jesus did. I mean, Jesus is the best example of this kind of servant leadership there is. Jesus, who even though he was God in the flesh, served his disciples, taught them, encouraged them, washed their feet, died for us so we could be reconciled to God. And as a result, we willingly make him our Lord. You know, if God were some kind of a tyrant God, we wouldn't, we wouldn't want to make him our Lord. We wouldn't trust him. But because he has served us, because we know he has our best interests at heart, it's easier to follow him. Godly leaders serve. And as a result, they have more influence, not less. I've been lucky enough over my life to have had bosses who have served me. They've encouraged me. They let me take credit for a job well done instead of taking it for themselves. They worked hard to help me develop my career and my gifts and my skills. That's a good boss. If you're a boss in any way, I hope that's what you're doing. That's a good boss. And those were bosses that I always wanted to work extra hard for because I knew that they had my best interests at heart. Because they served me, they had more authority in my life, not less, and I followed them with joy. In your office, in your home, in your neighborhood... Why are people following you? Are they following you because you serve them or are they following you out of fear or duty or obligation or because they have to or something like that? This week someone sent me a list of of real lines supposedly taken out of real employee performance reviews and and one of the lines said, his men would follow him anywhere but only out of morbid curiosity. (laughs) Why are people following you? 
Is it morbid curiosity? Ooh, where's this going? Or is it because you serve them? What makes people follow a leader with their whole heart? is isn't a title. It's not authority or anything like that. You know, authority is like soap. The more you have to use it, the less you have of it. But if you serve people, well, they'll follow you anywhere and your influence will grow. And if you are faithful in a little, faithful in the places of influence that God has given you, then he will give you more in the future. There's a man in my former church who was an admiral in the Navy, used to work with the top leaders in our country. And one day he came to a few of us on staff and he said, I want to do something to help out at the church. I want to serve. So we started listing some high-profile kinds of jobs, you know, serving on an important committee or better yet, maybe doing some upfront speaking like some of the pastors do. And he said, no, 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 I want to do something useful. Okay. (laughs) Great. So, you know, I want to do something like, you know, set up chairs or clean up after an event, stuff like that. So that's what he did. He was an admiral in the Navy doing some very behind-the-scenes kind of service. And you know what? It caught on. And other people in the church wanted to do the same thing because of the example he set. CEOs and CFOs and CO2s all started kind of (laughs) serving (laughs) because they saw him doing it. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to be just like him. He was a leader. People followed him. He had influence, but not because of his title, but because he served. So who has God called you to lead by serving? Your children, your co-workers, your neighbors? And are you serving them? Godly leaders follow so hard after Jesus, others can't help but follow. They're themselves, not someone else, and they serve. Now, it goes without saying, oh, that's a pretty tall order, and we cannot do this without Jesus. I mean, maybe we can get some people to follow us out of morbid curiosity or something like that without Jesus. But if we're really going to make a difference, we need Jesus to be this type of person who others just follow because of who we are and where God's going. If we want to be difference-making leaders, we need Jesus. We need the power of His Holy Spirit. His Spirit that helps us know where God is going so we can go in that direction. And His Spirit who encourages us when we get discouraged and feel like we have to be someone else in order to, to lead. And if you've been coming to this church for a while, you know by now how we can connect to the power of Jesus' Spirit. Scripture, prayer, worship, and community. Scripture, prayer, worship, and community. Many of you have heard of Willow Creek Church outside of Chicago. It's one of the largest churches in the country. They have about 15,000 members, but it didn't start out that way. It started out way back in the 70s in a college class at Wheaton University, where a professor named Dr. Bob, in an aside comment in one of his lectures, just happened to say, one day there's going to be a church that really takes the needs of people who don't know Jesus seriously. And they're going to love those people, and they're going to serve those people, and they're going to love each other within that church, but they're also going to reach out to love people who don't know God and help them to know who Jesus is. They're not going to be in it just for themselves, but they're going to be in it to serve the world. There's going to be a church like that someday. Well, a college student named Bill Hybels was sitting in that class and heard that aside, and it lit a fire into him. To him, that was the most compelling vision he'd ever heard of. So he decided that he wanted to start that kind of church. So he went to Dr. Bob and told him he wanted to start a church and asked Dr. Bob if he'd be the first elder of that church. And Dr. Bob kind of thought, oh, look, how cute. The college student wants to start a church. How nice, right? Of course I'll be your elder. Meanwhile, Bill Heibel sold tomatoes just just to get money to buy instruments for a band. Well, that was back in the 70s. Now that church has over 15,000 members, literally, literally thousands of whom did not know Jesus. 
until they encountered that church. Plus, they've raised millions of dollars to help needy people all around the world. And not only that, but Willow Creek has influenced for the better how a lot of churches do church, including this one. And all that time, Dr. Bob served as an elder. He encouraged Bill Hybels when he was down, believed in him when no one else did. He gave him advice, he gave him time, he gave him money, worked hard to help Hybels and the church succeed. Well, one Easter, they rented out a sports stadium so everyone in the church could be together in the same place. And everyone was given a pin light, which I'm sure had some kind of spiritual meaning. And toward the end of the service, one of the pastors said, we're going to turn out all the lights in the stadium. We want you to turn on your pin lights. If you have been helped in any way by the ministries of this church, if you've come to Christ or your marriage has been saved, turn on your pin lights. Well, they did, and the whole place lit up. And a photographer was there and just kind of pointed the, a camera randomly at the crowd and just kind of randomly snapped a picture. And when they developed that picture, you could see the whole place just glowing. All you saw was all these lights. But in the corner of the picture, another photographer at the same time was taking another picture at the exact same time as the first picture, and the flash from that photographer's camera lit up Dr. Bob's face. And it was the only face that you could see in the whole picture. And Dr. Bob was crying tears of joy. Because in that moment, God had given him a glimpse of everything that had happened because he was faithful. Dr. Bob was a leader. He was never up front. He wasn't nationally known. He didn't have a particular office, but he was a leader. Because he could see what God wanted to do and pursued it with such passion that Bill Hybels and others couldn't help but follow him. And Dr. Bob didn't feel the need to be someone he wasn't. He was just simply being the man that God created him to be. But most of all, he served. And because of that, he's made a huge difference to thousands of people who will never know his name. He was a leader not by power, prestige, or position. He was a leader because he served. So how can you be a difference-making leader? In your home, in your office, in your neighborhood, in your family. You know, like Dr. Bob, it may be decades before you see the results of your leadership. In fact, none of us are going to see the full effects of our leadership until we get to heaven. We get to heaven and kids who we've taught in Sunday school come up to us and say, thank you for leading my Sunday school class. Because of you, I'm here. Or in heaven, when a teacher from one of the schools we serve every summer in our annual service day, some of whom are going to church now because of it, when one of them comes up to you in heaven and says, thank you, because you led in service, I met Jesus and that changed my life. It may be years, maybe even a lifetime before we see the results of our leadership, but if we follow hard after Jesus and cooperate with the Holy Spirit to become the people God uniquely created us to be, and if we serve in His name, we will be difference-making leaders who transform our offices, families, neighborhoods, friends, connect people to Jesus, make people's lives richer, deeper, more meaningful. And don't be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not a leader because I don't have the right title or I don't have the right personality or I don't have such and such or I don't, you know, don't, go, don't, don't be thinking that. As God says to Jeremiah and Moses and all the people that he picks for leadership, which includes you, includes you sitting out there in the pews, this is what he says to you. Don't say you're too young. Don't say you're not articulate enough. Don't say you don't have the right training credentials or, or position to be a leader. Listen to what God says to you. You, sitting in the pews, this is what God says. To whomever I send you, go. Whatever I command you to say, say. Do not be afraid, for I'm with you. Today I appoint you, not someone else, you. I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to build and to plant, 
Get ready. Stand up. Today I make you a fortified city, an iron pillar to stand against even kings, and you will not be overcome, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like God has an awful lot of confidence in you. That you can be a godly, difference-making leader for him, starting today. Lord, thank you that you make all of us leaders in one way. And we ask that we would follow you and what you're doing so hard that in our sphere of influence, others are caught up in the pursuit of you as well. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.